0: Come sing, pray, write new music, share testimonies and resources, and grow together with like-minded worship leaders from across the world. Go to LLIW.net to register. Thank you so much, Miranda and Matthew, for reading those passages of Scripture. By the way, friends, that's my daughter, my daughter and her husband, my daughter who had her birthday two, y- two days ago. Happy birthday, Miranda. I just thought she'd like to know that. But thank you so much for reading those passages of Scripture. I love those passages. They underline the reality that God desires us to be people who communicate well, who use our communication effectively, whose communication is characterized by words like kind and clear and simple and direct. Great words to describe what communication is. That's why we're starting this series of sermons. Today's the first in a series entitled The Gift of Gab. And I want to thank in advance several of my colleagues who are going to be part of this series. Philip and Chris and Josh and Joey especially. Joey has been the one, Pastor Joey, our pastor for administration, who has crafted this series. And today we begin with the heart of conversations. So what is the heart of? Of conversations. So, I want to give you up front today the big idea of the sermon, the simple lesson of the sermon, and it is this Communication is what happens when meaning is understood. Communication is what happens when meaning is understood. It's not my line, I don't know whose line it is originally, but I'll say this I've quoted it for many years. Communication is what happens when meaning is understood. Now, when you think about that, you come to realize that a lot of the kinds of things we assume are communication could be, but not necessarily. We can't, for example, assume we've communicated because we've sent a text or written an email or participated in a phone call or even because we've been in the same room or we've talked or we've tried to listen. We can't assume communication has occurred until meaning is understood. That doesn't even honestly require words. You know that, right? When your parents, your mom, your dad gave you the stink eye, you knew what they meant. They didn't have to say a word. When a spouse reaches out and squeezes your hand, you know exactly what they mean. When a friend puts his hand, her hand on your shoulder, you understand the meaning and communication has occurred. That's the heart of conversations. Communication is what happens when meaning is understood. So we could, as a good friend of mine says, we could declare victory and go home. That's our sermon for the day. God bless you. Have a great week. Except for the fact that we realize there is so little communication going on in our world. On every hand, voices shout, strident people yell, injured people weep, and communication is lost in the process. So our question is, why is it so hard to communicate? Why is it so hard to participate in the heart of conversations? Why is that so difficult? Searching for an answer, we're going to take Scripture today and we're going to go to a passage in the Old Testament book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 32. Now I want to tell you right up front that this is not a passage primarily about communication. It's not a passage primarily about the heart of communication. It's not even a passage that says communication is what happens when meaning is understood. In fact, This passage is a passage about God, about our faithful God, about our good God, about our promise-keeping God. This passage occurs as the children of Israel are perched on the pinnacle. They are about to enter the promised land. Egypt is 40 years in the rearview mirror. The time has now come to enter the promised land and take possession of it. It's a difficult time, to be sure. But it's a time when God's character shines because the God who promised Abraham so long ago that he would bring his people to this land, is about to fulfill that promise. The God who called Moses and empowered him, sent him on his mission. The God who told the children of Israel, I will bring you to your own land. That God is about to fulfill his promise. That's truly what the core of this passage is all about. About God, his faithfulness, his ability to keep his word, keep his promise to us. But... If you burrow down into the details, contained in the details of the passage is a hostile exchange, a real challenge with with communication. In the context of this people who is going to depend on their covenant-keeping God, we have difficulty with them communicating with each other. And it is as we observe those realities that maybe we find an answer to our question. Remember our question? Why does so little real communication occur? Why do so few people actually find themselves able to participate in the heart of conversations? Well, I think this passage gives us three answers to that question. Three answers. And the first answer is simple, because of past experience. It's hard to communicate enjoy the heart of conversations because of past experience. So we begin reading in Numbers chapter 32, beginning with verse 1. The Reubenites and Gadites, who had very large herds and flocks, saw that the lands of Jazer and Gilead were suitable for livestock. So they came to Moses and Eliezer, the priest, and to the leaders of the community and said, Adaroth, Dibon, Jazer, Nimra, Heshbon, Eliala, Sebam, Nebo, and Beon, the land the Lord subdued before the people of Israel are suitable for livestock, and your servants have livestock. If we have found favor in your eyes, they said, Let this land be given to your servants as our possession. Do not make us cross the Jordan. It's a simple request, understandable request. They have large flocks and herds. And as they have been walking through this land and looking at the land, everywhere they look, they see pasture land. And they think, this is ideal. What if we camp on this side? What if this is our home? And the other other tribes can go to the other side. They'll have more land to, to share among them. And so they go to Moses with their request. Simple request. And Moses listens. And Moses erupts. Because while the request is simple, straightforward, Moses can't hear it because of past experience. Past experience. You know what that's like. Past experience with this organization, with this company, with this group of people, with this church. Past experience that has caused pain and difficulty puts us in a place where we say, I I, I can't hear that. That's Moses. Moses erupts. I'm going to read to you how Moses responds to that. It struck me as I studied and read this this week that you cannot really read this passage. You can't really read Moses' words without a sense of frustration rising in your voice, without your volume and your pitch getting more strident. You'll see what I mean. Numbers 32, starting in verse 6, Moses said to the Gadites and the Reubenites, Should your own people go to war while you sit here? Why do you discourage the Israelites from crossing over into the land the Lord has given them? This is what your fathers did when I sent them from Kadesh Barnea to look over the land. After they went up to the valley of Eshgal and viewed the land, they discouraged the Israelites from entering the land the Lord had given them. The Lord's anger was aroused that day and he swore this oath because they have not followed me wholeheartedly. Not one of those who are 20 years old or more when they came out of Egypt will see the land I swore on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Not one except Caleb... "'Son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, and Joshua, son of Nun, "'for they followed the Lord wholeheartedly. "'The Lord's anger burned against Israel, "'and He made them wander in the wilderness for 40 years "'until the whole generation of those "'who had done evil in His sight was gone. "'And here you are, you brood of sinners, "'standing in the place of your fathers "'and making the Lord even more angry with Israel. "'If you turn away from following Him, "'He will leave all this people in the wilderness, "'and you will be the cause of their destruction.'" Whoa, Moses does erupt in anger. It's the past experience he has had at this very place that informs his ability either to listen or to not listen, to communicate or not with these Reubenites and Gadites who come with their simple request. He's had 40 years to process this one. Forty years of choking dust and scalding heat. Forty years when he knew they could have been in the promised land. Forty years of leading an obstinate, stiff-necked people through the wilderness. Forty years of suffering. The past experience makes it impossible for Moses to listen in the present. We can understand that, can't we? The wife, maybe, can understand that. Her husband comes home with a new set of golf clubs. clubs. Now understand, they went into significant debt some years ago because of his mismanagement of money and because of his overspending the budget. It put them in a very difficult spot, took them years to dig out of that. She was frustrated deeply at the time, and it continued to gnaw at her at moments in time. And then here today, he comes home with a new set of golf clubs, and she just erupts. How could you do this? to You never checked with me. We didn't talk about how we could spend this money, how it would fit in the budget. I don't understand. Didn't you learn from the past? And she just lambasted him. She can't listen because of past experience. Because the truth is, he just won that set of golf clubs at the company's golf scramble. It's the experience of the dad. The dad who's been very clear with his son. You live in this house, you're in by curfew. No more of this staying out to all hours. No more. You be in. You be on time. Knowing his son had many times been late in the past. And then this night it happens again. When his son finally walks in the front door. Way after curfew. The dad is filled with anger. You've done this long enough. I'm sick of it. Get to your room. You can't live here anymore. He just erupts. The next morning receives a phone call from a mother that says to him, I'm so thankful for your son. A group of our kids were out partying last night, got drunk. They called your son because they knew he didn't do that. He took them home. Each one made sure every single one got in the front door. That wife, that father... They couldn't hear it because of past experience. That's the reality of Moses. The Reubenites and the Gadites come to him with a simple request. And here is the key. They are not asking what Moses thinks they're asking. That's not their request. But he can't hear their request. He can't communicate, understand their meaning because of past experience. Now, that's not the only reason. There's a second reason as well, not only because of past experience, but Moses can't truly communicate, can't truly hear and listen to them because of current emotions, not just past experience, but current emotions. I want to go back and reread the last three verses that we read together. I want you to pay attention to the use of the word anger. This is in in the midst of Moses' diatribe. He's coming toward the end of it. The Lord's anger, he says, burned against Israel, and he made them wander in the wilderness 40 years until the whole generation of those who had done evil in his sight was gone. And here you are, a brood of sinners, standing in the place of your fathers, making the Lord even more angry with Israel. If you turn from following him, he will again leave this people in the wilderness, and you will be the cause of their destruction. Anger, anger, the Lord's anger burned, Moses says. Well, pardon me for taking issue with Moses, faithful servant that he is. But I'm not sure the Lord's anger is the problem here. The odor of that smoke, that I smell that angry smoke in the air, that has a distinctly Moses aroma to it. Moses is the one who's angry. And when your emotions overwhelm you, it becomes very difficult, if not even impossible, to listen, to connect with meaning, to communicate, to enjoy the heart of conversation. Emotions overwhelm. That's what happened. That wife, the husband might Say, dear, I, I I I was at the event, I looked at those clubs, I thought I'd love to have those clubs. But we can't afford them. We can't do it until we can agree on it. And then I won them. I couldn't wait to get home to tell you, but when I came in the door, you were so angry. You wouldn't hear. That's that late teenage son. Dad, I knew if I texted you, you would say no, but they were my friends, and I was, I was afraid of them getting on the road in their condition. I couldn't turn my back on them. But when I came home to try to explain, you were so angry. And that's Moses, angry. His current emotions based on his past experiences are making it impossible for him to listen. In fact, here's the way I've spoken of it over the years, especially in the classroom. When it comes to these kinds of realities, we're keenly aware of two different parts of us as human beings, of ourselves. One part is the thinking part the rational, intellectual component. The other is the feeling part, the emotional component. Now, I want you to picture yourself driving down the road in the car, and that car and the driver and the passenger, all of that is you. That's your self. You're driving down the road. You're making your way through life. Thinking is behind the wheel, driving the car. Feeling is riding shotgun. So as you negotiate your way through life, Making decisions at intersections with other drivers with difficult moments. Thinking and feeling are in constant conversation. Feeling says, watch out, do this. That makes me angry. I love that. Thinking listens, takes that into account. But thinking ultimately makes the decisions of where the car will go. You're okay in that condition. A healthy person. But if the moment comes... When something overwhelms you so much that feeling reaches over and grabs thinking, throws thinking into the back seat and takes over the wheel and says, now we're going where I demand, you're in trouble. Because those emotions can overwhelm you to the degree that you make very unwise decisions. One of which is the inability to hear other people to communicate. That was Moses. That's where he was. can't hear it. My emotions have overwhelmed me. So why is it that we find it so hard to communicate, to truly enjoy the heart of conversations, to experience that reality that says communication is what happens when meaning is understood? Well, for Moses, past experience... That was key. Current emotions. That was key. But there's a third reality here. And that's future uncertainty. Future uncertainty. So I want you to listen to what Moses tells the people of Reuben and Gad. And as I read these these texts, listen for the word if. If. Verse 20. Then Moses said to them, If you will do this, if you will arm yourselves before the Lord for battle, and if all of you who are armed cross over the Jordan before the Lord until he has driven out his enemies before him, then when the land is subdued before the Lord, you may return and be free from your obligation to the Lord and to Israel, and this land will be your possession before the Lord. But if you fail to do this, you will be sinning against the Lord, and you may be sure that your sin will find you out. If, 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 if. In other words, Moses is not at all convinced that they're going to do what they're saying they're going to do. Now, let me ask you, when somebody doesn't trust what you say, when somebody doesn't believe what you say, doesn't have confidence in what you're trying to communicate to them, how much do you feel that you have been heard? If, if, if. If if future uncertainty, I don't think you can change, I don't think you can become something different, something better, I don't think you can live out what you're saying, makes communication very, very hard. Now remember... We're in the context of the story, the narrative of the people of Israel and of their covenant keeping God. This story is ultimately about God and his ability to keep his promise. But as they move forward, that family called Israel is having real challenges communicating. And that's Moses. It's kind of like that wife and that father. I'm going to guess at their internal dialogue as what happened to each of them unfolded for the wife, seeing that new golf club brought in that new set of golf clubs brought in. The internal dialogue was immediate and swift and loud. I knew he couldn't do it. I knew he couldn't stay by a budget. I knew he'd pull something like this, not going to change. That father checking his watch, checking his watch. I tell you, I knew I should have put greater strictures on him. Why am I letting him use my car? Why is he, I can't trust? That's the dialogue. Future uncertainty. It makes it very hard to communicate, very hard to listen. Now, I mentioned earlier That all of what happens here, all that we have just read, is based on the fact that Moses thinks he knows what they're asking, but that's not what they're asking. It's like the captain in Cool Hand Luke who says, what we have here is a failure to communicate. That's what Moses has on his hands. I want you to listen to what the people of Gad and the people of Reuben are actually asking for. Back to Numbers 32, this time starting in verse 16. Then they came up to him and said, that's up to Moses, we would like to build pens here for our livestock and cities for our women and children, but we will arm ourselves for battle and go ahead of the Israelites until we have brought them to their place. Meanwhile, our women and children will live in fortified cities for protection from the inhabitants of the land. We will not return to our homes until all the Israelites have received their inheritance. We will not receive any inheritance with them on the other side of the Jordan because our inheritance has come to us on the east side of the Jordan. That's what they were asking. Moses, we will not only go across the Jordan with you, we will lead the way. We're part of this team. We're part of this family. We'll make sure you have everything coming to you before we come back and enjoy what's coming to us. That's what they were asking. But because Moses was so affected by past experience, by current emotions, and by future uncertainty, he couldn't hear it. What we have here is a failure to communicate. Because communication is what happens when meaning is understood. And to fail to understand, well, that can have serious ramifications. Willie Ramirez and his family found that out in tragic ways. Willie Ramirez, 18 years old, 1980, family took him to the hospital. He had passed out. They were deeply concerned, but Willie and his family could not speak English. So when they got to the hospital, there was difficulty in communicating. So the hospital staff back in 1980 just grabbed one of the hospital staff members that knew Spanish or said they did and said, please translate. What's the issue? The word that came back from the family was that Willie was intoxicado, intoxicado. You recognize that word, right? intoxicated. And so the staff treated him accordingly. Problem was, the person who translated didn't really realize what intoxicado means. It's a false friend, linguists call it such as the spouse of our newest staff member, Adriana Pereira, her husband, Francisco Burgos. I called Francisco to make sure this was right, and the first thing he said to me was, that's a false friend. In other words, it's a word that sounds like this, but it means actually that. Intoxicado really means poisoned. The staff mistreated Willie, treated him wrongly, rather, leading to quadriplegia because of a brain bleed. The hospital settled a case for $71 million. Failure to communicate. Now Moses and the people of Reuben and Gad end up in a a good place. Verse 28, Then Moses gave orders about them to Eliezer, the priest, and Joshua, the son of Nun, and to the family heads of the Israelite tribes. He said to them, If the Gadites and Reubenites, all those armed for battle, cross over the Jordan with you before the Lord, then when the land is subdued before you, you must give them the land of Gilead as their possession. But if they do not cross over with you armed, they must accept their possession with you in Canaan. The Gadites and the Reubenites answered, Your servants will do what the Lord has said. We will cross over before the Lord into Canaan armed, but the property we will inherit will be on this side of the Jordan. So all ends up good. They're finally agreed. They're at peace. But what a hassle. Conflict, anger, misunderstanding, frustration, blame. Isn't there an easier way to communicate? I think there is, might take a little bit of work, a little bit of practice, but anything worth doing takes work and practice, right? So I have here a piece of tile. It's a piece that was left over from years ago, found it in our garage from when we tiled part of our house. This represents the floor, the floor. So therapists for many years have used something called the speaker-listener technique. I've taught it and have used it and have learned from it. So here's what a therapist might do. John and Jean come in and sit down before the therapist, having a problem in communication. And so the therapist gives Jean the floor, says, you have the floor. You can talk, not long, but brief. Express what it is that you're feeling and thinking and then hand the floor to John. So Jean does that. She expresses, hands the floor to John. John now has the floor. All he can do is summarize what Jean said. So Jean, what you said is blah, blah, blah. And then he has the floor back to Jean, and she says, no, no, no. no. It's not what I said. She either corrects or confirms. She says, this is what I said. She does it again. The floor goes back to John. Back and forth they go, sharing the floor, until what Jean says is summarized by John, and she says, that's it. Now you understand. Only then may John now have the floor to craft his response. And then the process reverses. And you say, have mercy. How can you ever have a fight? Well, that's the point. This speaker-listener technique slows down the process to make certain that meaning is understood. wonder what would have happened if Moses and the Reubenites and Gadites had done that. They make their request, and then Moses reflects it back, and they say, oh, no, 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 Moses, that's not what we're saying. And then they repeat it. He reflects it back. It takes two or three or four times until finally Moses says, okay, so this is what you're saying? They say, that's it. And then Moses says, well, that's what you're saying. Yeah, we can do that because meaning was understood. That's the heart of communication. Take some practice. But it can ultimately become second nature. Just like when I learned to drive a standard, a stick shift car. My brother taught me how on an incline. And we jerked and shouted and yelled, trying for me to learn how to do it. I thought, I'll never master this. You know, I own several standard transmission cars. And it became so natural that I never gave it thought. That's how we learn to communicate. Making certain meaning is understood. So is there a better way? I think there is. Remember the three challenges, past experience, current emotions, future uncertainty. So what if we communicate this way? Stick to the present. Stick to the present. Keep thinking in the driver's seat. And place our trust in the God of the future, that people can change, and that with God all things are possible, even communication.